The French Revolution is the most important step of the human race since the advent of Christ. Are you going to counterpoint the part where I say that Jean Valjean is Santa? Maybe. (laughs) The mouse plus the cat is the revised and corrected proof of creation. To accept that it really isn't Christmas until... Till somebody cries. Exactly. Ho, ho, ho. You are putting the Thunderbolt on trial. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Catherine. And we're... I'll be pod for Castmas, a seasonal podcast where we overanalyze Christmas pop songs and put them into conversation with some unlikely pieces of literature. This December, we're covering Carly Rae Jepsen's It's Not Christmas Till Somebody Cries, alongside Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, and also just the Les Mis musical. Don't be a Grinch! Or a Javert. Join us on I'll Be Pod for Castmas on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all but the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing the sort of summer. It's getting pretty close to us not being able to continue it anymore because it's almost over, but how are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're not going to have to be reading the sort of summer for much longer, to be honest, because... Earlier today, I was uh, I was reading through the chapters while uh, looking after my baby sister, uh, and she kept looking over my book. And I was like, "Okay, this is this is a good time to introduce her to the joys of literature, and also prime her to be a loyal and wise girls listener in the future." So I let her hold and play around with the book, and she just kind of uh, ripped a few pages and drooled on it. Oh no! Which I don't know what I expected, but now the book is slightly less pleasant to hold and read. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Jane. This is my own fault in a way. It is kind of what happens when you try to make a baby indoctrinated. <laughs> I, I, I think maybe you got what was coming to you. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I did. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing okay. Uh, I d- d- played some RPGs today. That was a lot of fun. Helped play. Helped help, help do some playtesting for a game. Now I'm 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 here and I'm good, ready to record another wonderful episode of our show. I'm glad to hear it because we're already recording. Fuck, we are. <laughs> yeah, we got all of that. No. Oh God. Um. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of nervous now. Uh. Wh- <laughs> what if I give you a minute to collect your notes while I do the summaries? Okay, okay, that sounds good. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) Chapter 59, The Terror That Is Middle School Magnus is teleported from hell to the roof of Malcolm X Middle School in Boston, where Sam is waiting for him, having also been teleported there. Apparently, Thor initially teleported her home, and after an awkward confrontation with her grandparents where she had to tell a bunch of very obvious lies about why she disappeared, uh, she was shut in her room, after which she ended up at the school. Sam tells Magnus that she went to this school two years ago, and when it was attacked by a rampaging frost giant, she single-handedly killed it. Odin apparently saw this and was so impressed that he offered Sam a position as a Valkyrie. This allows Sam to segue into another fun Odin fact. He hasn't totally disappeared. 
In fact, she saw him recently, and he was the one who told her to take Magnus to Valhalla, although neither of them understand the full plan yet. Magnus also tells Sam about refusing Hell's offer, and they have a bonding moment over him feeling awful about doing the right thing, just as Sam felt confused and conflicted about killing a frost giant that was attacking a school full of kids who were massive dicks to her. They set off to find Blitz in Hearthstone. Chapter 60 A Lovely Homicidal Sunset Cruise They reunite with Blitz and Hearthstone outside an aquarium. Blitz is ecstatic, having heard that Junior is now a social pariah back in Svartalfheim over the contest, and because he's fielding offers to make his own clothing line after all this is done because of how good his projects were. Hearth has also fully entered his wizard era. Apparently he was teleported to Mimir, who told him he was now a master of the mystic arts. He has a sick new staff, and Magnus completes it by returning Hearth's Perthra runestone. Magnus has realised that he's no longer as exhausted from using Jack as he was, and Hearth is more easily able to use his magic, and figures that the runestone is allowing them to share the load of using magic between the four of them. Hearth declares that the Perthro, the half-empty cup, is the sign of his newfound family in Blitz, Magnus, and Sam. After the feelings jamboree is over, they head to Boston's docks and find two dwarves, Fiala and Gyala, famous thieves and scammers who offer to sail them out to the Wolf Island. Despite the risk, the four of them know it's their only option, so they board the ship and head into the Atlantic. Chapter 61 Heather is my new least favourite flower. The trip to the island is uneventful, and the double cross only comes when the gang reaches the shore. Fiala and Gyala threaten to sail away unless the gang hands over all their valuables. Magnus, despite being terrified of having to face the wolf, finds it in himself to tell them to get fucked, and they leave in a half. Now trapped, the only thing they can do is go to the centre of the island and finish this. On their way, they realise that the island is almost totally covered in heather flowers, which are apparently a good magic repellent, and part of the apparatus for keeping Fenris Wolf imprisoned. Chapter 62 The Small Bad Wolf Magnus is a little underwhelmed the first time that he sees Fenris. While definitely scary, and also definitely slowly slipping out of his bindings, he is also just like normal wolf size. He also talks with a dangerously influential silver tongue, trying to rile everyone up and make them charge close to him so he can kill them. Only Hearth is immune, unable to hear the wolf's voice, and he manages to help everyone else keep a cool head. At least, until Fenris mentions that two years ago, he managed to shake the rope off his snout and start whispering in the ears of the gods. He reveals that he planted the idea in Odin's head to make Sam a Valkyrie, in order to get a child of Loki into Valhalla, and that he's in fact been pulling the strings this entire time. He sent his sons to Magnus's home two years ago not to kill him, but to kill his mother and land him on the streets, to toughen him up enough to claim the Sword of Summer. He wanted Magnus to die and then go on this quest, because he knew that it would end with the gang bringing Jack to him. The sword is fated to cut his bonds and trigger Ragnarok, and now that it's here, Jack is overcome with a strong urge to do just that. Magnus has to physically restrain the sword, and right at the worst possible moment, Gunilla, her Valkyries, and the Magnus' hallmates arrive. Chapter 63 I hate signing my own death warrant. Gunilla sends Magnus's fellow Einherjar to arrest him, and predictably, they immediately turn coat and join Magnus's team. This would make things look pretty good for their side if Surt didn't arrive at that exact moment with ten other fire giants. The Einherjar go to battle them while Magnus and his friends move to rebind Fenris, and Gunilla realises that no matter what else is happening, beating up the fire giants is probably a good idea, joining Magnus as hallmates. Chapter 64 Whose idea was it to make the wolf unkillable? The fight against the fire giants is only a delaying action, they outnumber the Valkyries and Einherjar 2 to 1. Magnus and his pals have only minutes as they approach Fenris, and Jack doesn't make things any easier on them when he slips from Magnus' control and cuts the bindings on his front paws leaving the wolf able to fight them. 
Fenris is a tough customer too, beating the shit out of Sam and Magnus, and when Blitz moves in to try and bind him, he mortally wounds the dwarf. Hearth intervenes, casting a sacrifice rune which uses his own strength to shield Blitz. It seems this is the all-is-lost moment, as the fire giants overwhelm the Valhalla forces, and Magnus is left with no idea of how to rebind Venerus. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters? I like them. Magnus chase good, as always, but it it's interesting. We're getting down to the end, uh, and I, it's getting like, how are things shaken out? I, it, how are things going to land? I don't know. What, what do you think? I think, yeah, I, I, I'm broadly with you on this. I think part of me is a little bit, <laughs> is counter, counterintuitively a little bit frustrated that uh, we haven't had a rash of really bad chapters in a while, just because it's fun to tear into them. <laughs> I that feel like really it's, just been, it's been solid the whole way through, <laughs> and this continues that. And that's fine. It's good that they're good. Uh, and But honestly, I, I wouldn't mind a stinker. It, what if next <laughs> book is just really bad? <laughs> Could be kind of fun. Listen, we know f- famously the second book in a Rick Ryden series, never his strongest. No. What if he breaks the curse, though? He could break the curse, I guess. Um, There's kind of two sections to this reading. Mm-hmm. One, one of which is like a chapter. Uh, and <laughs> one of which is... Uh, I don't know. They're, they're basically that it's before they get to the Wolf Island and after they get to the Wolf Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we could just start with the before. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so we get to see Sam's origin story here. Her like, her like superhero origin story. I guess it it, it basically literally is a superhero origin story, complete with like topical themes. Sam stops <laughs> a school shooting. Man, that really is what this is. <laughs> It's weird. It's kind of weird. I I don't hate it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I am kind of just like Sam. We we've got Sam. We understand Sam as a character, and it kind of feels like she doesn't have anything beyond what we've already said because we've talked about how she is like, no matter what struggles she faces, she's trying to you know keep her head up high and mm-hmm. you know do her best and and that's that's basically what we get here you know she had all this you know racist abuse hurled at her every day in middle school Uh, everyone was shitty to her but then when the frost giant comes she's the one who saves them magnus even is like why did you do that for all of them they sucked (laughs) and she basically says you know they go low you go high which you know i'm not i I don't want to rag on sam too much for stopping a school shooting or anything but yeah, it's very much like, I see what you mean about this, not feeling like it adds a whole lot to her character, it more seems to be just like, repeating things that we already know rather than developing them. It's not additive, instead it is just kind of sealing her into a box of characterization, I think. Mm-hmm. And it makes it feel like, we talked about like, is she going to maybe grow past the instinct of like needing to fit into these structures no not necessarily uh, is what this tells me like maybe that is just who she is that's the lesson she's learned it's kind of i think by presenting it this way the book is very much making it come across as like this is this is sam's noble instinct that she she saved all these people you know her her drive to always stick by and do her best in the system even when it's fucking her is like that's that's noble of her 
It's her Peter Parker thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. Flash Thompson pushes Peter Parker into the into the locker, but if he's getting attacked by the Green Goblin, Spider-Man will save him. Yeah. That that's fine. And we've talked about Sam as, you know, a superhero since the beginning of the book, basically, as soon as we learned what her deal was. Magnus has talked about Sam as a superhero. <laughs> it's pretty much yeah, it's it's there in the text. Um but I wish we could go beyond that a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This, and I, I, it's interesting how this is the part where we get confirmation that Odin is the one who picked Magnus, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, quote unquote confirmation. Or was he? But I'm, it's interesting to me that, um, Well, first of all, this is our first bit where we uh, get Odin as also appearing as a homeless guy. The classic Odin thing. That's that's the Odin thing that he does. That we've, you know, been talking about since the beginning because, you know, we were going to, like, is is Hearth or Blitz going to turn out to be Odin? No, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) certainly not. Um, And what what's really interesting to me is that Magnus, like, kind of doesn't seem to feel good about Odin having chosen. Yeah, no, this... And I, I think... I wonder how much of that is foreshadowing for what we later learned about Fenris, that Magnus's reaction to this is, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. What the fuck is happening? The way I read it at the time was that it was very much like um, Magnus's inferiority complex, right? Mm, also like, that. He doesn't see himself as worth that much. Uh, like, you know, why would the king of the gods choose me? Uh, but even more so than that, I think that we can read this as... I, I think you're right that it is foreshadowing. But in the moment, I think that this is a little bit of like... This is another person who, you know, says that there's something really important for Magnus to do. You know, he's he's a really important kid. Not, not at all in Magnus's life. Right? Like... Mm, yeah like maybe the fact that he has a whole inferiority complex uh about his position in uh the sort of cosmic tapestries because odin never came to him personally and talked to him about it yeah and it you know as as magnus even points out it seems like it would have been very easy for odin to do that yeah absolutely and that's uh that's you know magnus always a great sort of characterization happening there but mm-hmm. yeah yeah it kind of it, it makes odin into like another guy who's trying to take advantage of magnus in some way because like, this is not like a reciprocal relationship this is just like odin needed him to do a thing and move the pieces to make it happen and that's kind of the villain of the whole book too <laughs> i'm sure there's nothing to read into there oh yeah yeah I guess before we get to that, should we talk about everyone's uh, uh, time skip upgrades? <laughs> the time skip upgrades that happened in about 15 minutes. It's incredibly funny that ev- it was literally like maybe half an hour to an hour. And now Blitz is like living the high life in Nidaveller. And Hearth has become the master of all. He's become Doctor Strange. He's fucking, he's, he's moved from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White in a day. Yes, absolutely. I, how did this all happen? <laughs> I, 
I think Mamiya just wanted him to get out, so he was like, yeah, yeah, kid, the power was inside you all along. Here's a stick, leave me alone. That's true. I I think the one I'm actually more fascinated by is Blitz. Um, The fact that Blitz went back to Nedeveller and is now, like, a big celebrity, like, all of his fortunes have turned around. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, his family being outcasts anymore. Is Is this too convenient? I guess that does feel a little bit convenient. I wonder if it's a case of, like, maybe Hearth and Blitz are going to take more of a backseat role in the next couple of books, so it's just, like, setting up a cushy life for Blitz to crash into after this is done. That could be true. Yeah, I I could see that happening, because they're very much like, will Magnus need protectors after this? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he's, he's grown up and he doesn't need his dads anymore. It might, yeah, it might be like the Grover thing, where, you know, Grover still shows up after lightning thief but he kind of fades into the background right i don't want them to get grovered (laughs) but that that could especially be true because it does seem like we're kind of wrapping up this uh the sort of arc of their whole team relationship where they are they they affirm their bond as not just a, a group of people but a family right yeah and this is this is very sweet but i also think it's very funny that sam is included in this when they've known her for like less than a week yeah when it's like this this tight-knit group of people who've been living on the streets together for two years and also sam absolutely uh i i get it of course like sam you know is paralleled constantly with all these guys uh mm-hmm. you know they've they've t- taken a liking to her but i think I really like this scene. It feels a little bit overstated, maybe. Like, yeah. Just, it, it, they go on for quite a while, just kind of saying to each other, it's like we're more than... Fr- it's like we've become a family. And <laughs> you could leave that implied, you know? I think it was already heavily implied. Exactly. I guess it's like, you know, their, their bond is strong enough that they feel able to say that to one another. Right. And I, I appreciate the metaphor they use, the like the family of four empty cups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's good stuff there, you know, the the bond that is formed through the fact that they are all sort of like they've all had their, you know, insides scooped out by the world. <laughs> uh and the the whole thing of like they're all sharing the cost of uh magic with each other now, right? Yeah that's that's it's good but i think you're maybe you're right this might be the ending point for that it's good it also does put a bullet in my my dream scenario for how uh magnus's relationship with jack ends but that's whatever that's fine throw throw that idea on the pile rick (laughs) what was that one my mine was the like they have to do like a big final battle and Magnus has to make Jack like kill so many people that like if he ever grabbed him again he would die so they have to like stay apart now. I I think that could still happen, you know. I guess well, I guess I guess Jack could kill so many people that uh, he would kill all four of them. Yeah, exactly. Then Magnus has even le- even more incentive to not pick him up again. <laughs> it seems like Jack can do a whole lot without killing Magnus anymore, though. It does. He did kill two giants, and it was fine. It was fine. Uh, Fjallar and Gjallar are funny. Uh, these these are some funny little one-chapter guys. Yeah, they don't do quite as much as we get from, like, a, uh, like, be- uh, Procrustes the Bed Stretcher, uh, who 
who I can still remember after all these years. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're fine. Uh, Fjallar, uh, Fjallar was actually foreshadowed earlier in the book. Was he? We he uh, er, the, he apparently has like a line of alcohol. Uh, because in the chapter where they're crashing at Blitz's place, they're drinking Fjallar's foaming mead. Oh, interesting. I guess he's also into microbrewing. I guess so. Do you think he hangs out with that one sea god? Probably. I mean, he lives by the ocean, right? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a reason I was able to summarize the entire like boat trip over in one sentence, because it's just Magnus freaking out about how much he has a phobia of wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, While these dwarves run around being like, maybe we'll rob you at some point, and then they do. They do. Well, they don't. They don't get anything from it, actually. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, I think what I will say for the boat ride is that it is very... Um, Rick Riordan is kind of evoking, I would say, like... Have you seen uh, the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory movie? I have. Uh, do you know the boat the, the boat ride scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is kind of what he's going for here, because it is very, like... As as they are riding, because the bit where Magnus turns into a blueberry, yeah, yeah, that one. No, <laughs> no, you fucker. Uh, th- this is it, because of the, the the part in the boat ride where he's taking them through. It's like there's no easy way of knowing where you're going. That one, uh, mm. and it's like very surreal, kind of psychedelic. That's kind of what's happening with this boat ride, where uh, as they travel through the waters uh, toward the Isle of Heather. Uh, it's like time is shifting around them and Magnus is seeing like Magnus sees from like the beginning of the earth all the way to like <laughs> when uh, this, this specific Island was like, you know, when like the, the water came and the Island juts up and he basically sees the formation of land starts to see buildings pop up in Boston. It, it's an, it's cool imagery. Mm-hmm, definitely. It, it's very atmospheric. Definitely. I have a question for you, though. Hit me with a question. It is Cert Magnus's Minotaur. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Actually, hmm. No, I think I think the Minot- the Minotaur ended up serving kind of a different purpose to Cert. I think Cert is more of like you know he's he's a proper book antagonist, where the Min- whereas the Minotaur was just like. Percy's first battle and then it disappears and it comes back in book five to get killed in one paragraph to show how insane Percy is now. That's true. I the reason I say that is because Cert is he's kind of like he kinda of does the Minotaur thing of being the first scary, like mythological person you face. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then coming back later. But I, I think that like you're right that the Minotaur is very long term. Whereas Cert's going back pretty quickly. Uh, I, I, I think I disagree about him being the book's antagonist, though. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's fair. I, I, I more meant like a, a antagonist. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Furiously yeah. backpedaling. Can't quite remember <laughs> if I said the earlier, but I'm going to roll with it. No, I mean, totally. Because what Cert is... I think we talked early on and assumed that he would be the big bad of the book. Yeah. And that is because I guess we didn't realize how much of just like a talking, thinking person Fenris Wolf would be, maybe. Yeah, I just assumed that this was going to be a big dumb wolf. 
I, I was very much jump scared uh, when when we got like when they walked up to to Fenris Wolf and he was like, ah, oh, hello, people. Like, what the fuck? You can talk. This this wolf's got a deep, sultry voice and a silver tongue. It's Christmas for white women. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Listen, it's it's mythology. It's mythological. It's fine. <laughs> Look, Loki. Loki already went there several chapters ago. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh Lord, no. I mean, yeah, right. It's he's a sexy wolf and all. That's, that's kind of his thing. He's a fuckable wolf. Um, that's. I didn't that's, say that. <laughs> is that not what you said? I, that's what I heard. Uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> Um, no, but he, he's, he is, like, he has that silver tongue, he's, he's kind of trying to be charming, Magnus says, like, oh, he sounds like a, he sounds like my best friend and is saying things that are, like, making me try to come near him so he can kill me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I question the whole premise of what happens here. Interesting. I question the idea that, um, anything he says the same is true. (laughs) <laughs> you think so? I I think that this could easily be him trying to throw her off balance. I, that's interesting. Because that's that's the Loki thing, right? That is the Loki thing. My my assumption for what was going to happen was that um it would turn out that he was he was talking to Odin and Odin went along with the shit that he said, but Odin had some like secret double plan. And was like, I don't know, he was like, oh, well, the enemy is directly telling me what they want done, so I'm just gonna use that to my advantage in some way. And it'll turn out that Odin is the coolest. Because that's, that's kind of where my faith in these books remains. <laughs> you have such low low faith in, the, in this book that we, for all intents and purposes, kind of love so far. This is true. I guess it, this, is, this is my worry about where Rick always goes when he's handling the gods. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Speaking I, of which, uh-huh. uh, Loki was fucking right uh-huh. about everything. Yes. Magnus should have just given the fucking sword to Randolph. I guess so. Randolph would have gotten fucking compelled to come over too, though, I think. I don't think Randolph is competent enough to get on the boat. The doors would have just stabbed him and taken his wallet and kicked him over the side. Problem solved. I think you might be right. Yeah, it's weird how little, like, presence he has in the book past that beginning. I, yeah, I expected him to turn up more, but he's literally just in those chapters, and then he never appears again. Maybe he's gonna be big later on, but this is, I guess, just another adult who doesn't give a shit enough to be in Magnus's life. That's, um, yeah. Which, you know, obviously you can read that as just like, well, in the fiction, he doesn't know where Magnus is, but I think in the text of it, like, just the, the metaphor of it, nobody cares enough to stick around. I mean, in the text, there was two solid years where Magnus was on the streets, and uh, he, Randolph, despite knowing that Magnus was going to be die in two years, uh, did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And why was he on the streets again? Uh, that would be because uh, Fenris sent his two little wolf sons to murder Magnus's mom. Fenris Wolf is... Um, like a, a a fridger of mythological proportions. Magnus, I, I, it's so fucking funny that the thing that Magnus 
is like so mad about that he almost charges and gets killed by Fenris is that like, he's mad about the concept of fridging. He literally says, "I'm I killed your mom for your character development." And Magnus <laughs> that, like, is like, "I can't believe that I she didn't die protecting me. She died for my character development." <laughs> it's kind of insane. I, <laughs> I I don't. This is such a like a specific thing for Rick Riordan to have done that like triggers all of my buttons. Where I'm like, "Why? This is hilarious." I kind of think. I, I, I kind of love this. I don't know if it's intentional, everything that I love about it, but... it's It almost feels like a metatextual commentary on, like, genre. Um, but I can't tell. Which I think would be fair if it also was not literally just doing the fridging. That is true, yes. Um, like, if, if, if the villain in that Green Lantern comic then said... I kill I I cut your wife into pieces and put her in your fridge uh so that you would get stronger. That wouldn't really make it better. Wait, did he? Oh, he cuts her into pieces and puts her in the fridge. That's that's what fridging is. That's what that's what fridging comes from is that I think the the Green Lantern's girlfriend gets cut up and put in a fridge. Genuinely for all these years, I've just assumed that it was like someone's love interest got a fridge dropped on them. <laughs> No, yeah, cut up, cut, cut up in the fridge. Oh, uh, that's less funny. It is less funny. <laughs> take it up with uh, Gail Simone, I guess. Or no, take take it up with whoever wrote that comic. <laughs> Fridging is actually a, t- a term that comes from Looney Tunes. It's uh, when uh, Wiley Coyote would drop a fridge on top of Roadrunner. Uh, Roadrunner, of course, being a girl. Uh, so. And so Roadrunner, even back then, was subverting these expectations because the fridge always fucking lands on Wiley Coyote. That's true. That's true. Oh, fin- also, have we talked about the fact that Fenris Wolf is just a wolf the size of a wolf? He he is just a wily wolf the size of a wolf. I. What do we think of this character? Uh. I I I like this. I think I I am glad that he is just like normal wolf sized. Uh huh. Because I think, if if for no other reason than I feel like one of the things that we got sick of real quick in Heroes of Olympus was like the combat with the giants always felt kind of shit. <laughs> it felt like Rick didn't really know how to write, excuse me, a combat encounter with like a giant character in that way. So I think like just Magnus and Sam try to beat the shit out of this dog <laughs> is like <laughs> that's that's easier to visualize, and I think also kind of a, a more relatable threat and danger, especially for when we're dealing with Magnus, who has, like, this phobia of wolves. Yeah. I think just I'm... sticking a normal-ass-looking wolf in front of him works. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't have to be a huge, big wolf guy. He could just be a wolf who is, you know, fast and strong, but, you know, a wolf still. Mm-hmm. But I, I also just want to talk about him as a character, you know, like, uh, as, like, an antagonistic force in this book. Um... I guess first question, this is something that we kind of always go back to. Uh, is Fenris a Kronos? Ooh, I guess, yeah, I can I can see that, because that, this is... What he's claiming that he's done is basically what Kronos was doing in Lightning Thief, right? Yeah. Where he's kind of whispering in the gods' ears and, like, manipulating them towards his ends without ever getting his hands dirty himself while he's imprisoned. In, oh, this is, yeah, this is literally Kronos, because he's imprisoned also. 
Yeah, manipulating various forces, you know, man- manipulating even the heroes, uh, getting getting them to bring in a, a special powerful item toward him uh, <laughs> to, to, to try and get it into their domain. Uh, I guess you can just directly compare Tartarus to uh, the Isle of Heather there. Yeah. That, I, All we I need actually... now is a last minute betrayal where it turns out that like Thomas Jefferson Jr. was always working for him or something. Fuck. <laughs> oh man yeah but i think we've been annoyed in the past when villains have just been chronos um mm. i we... think they've been worse chronos was was the problem that yes like we did not super care for set or uh gaia as they as they acted mm-hmm. fenris i'm liking fenris wolf i'm liking yeah i i think I, this is this is one going circling back to a thing that we talked about a lot with this book is that it is kind of Norse flavored lightning thief, but it is doing the Chronos beats and the Chronos beats work, and Fenris like as a design is distinctive enough that I and as like as a physical threat in this story I think is distinct enough that it works. And what's interesting is that you kind of can't set up Fenris Wolf as a villain for the whole book series. I don't think. Yeah. This is kind of like if we made, um, like, Ares. Like, maybe if you wanted to call Ares uh, the book, the villain of book one, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you. This is kind of like if we made Fenris Wolf Ares, or if we made if we made Kronos Ares. Like he, we kind of can't have this manipulative wolf, manipulative wolf guy be the, be the antagonist for the entire series because it doesn't really make sense for like the sequence of events that are leading up to Ragnarok, I guess. Yeah, because once he gets loose, he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's done his thing. Yeah, he's gonna eat the world. That's the next thing you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> he has to get loose, right? I can't imagine what what else the plot of the next two books would be. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It's Unless it's just another two books of trying to stop people from free- freeing Fenris Wolf, which sounds kind of boring. Well... There's other elements to Ragnarok too, right? Like, mm-hmm. ha- I, there's like something hell has something to do with it, and then uh, the 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 world serpent has to do something too. The ship uh, made of nails has to be completed and launched. Yeah, so there's all sorts of like. I guess we don't really know the clear antagonistic force of the series yet, except for like we know there are giants, but they don't feel like it doesn't feel like the giants are like the big evil. Um, yeah, the giants, even the ones like um, Surt, just kind of feel like grunts. They feel like grunts. Like some of them feel like especially impactful, you know, grunts or like mm-hmm. you know they feel like uh, you know leaders. Uh, but none of them feel like uh, proper big overarching antagonists. And I'm halfway between like I kind of like that we're not ending another first book with like and here's our big villain for the series and also kind of like is this gonna be like properly structured (laughs) (laughs) like are we gonna get to the end of this and not know where the fuck anything is going I think I think the end of this book is gonna have Odin show up and explain everything is what I reckon, and he'll lay out what what's going on for the next two. You think he's the invisible friend? I think, yeah, I think that's very possible. Did you mention that in the, su- in the summaries, by the way? I did not just... mention that in the summaries, actually, yeah. Uh, I think, is it Fenris that says, like, oh, you've got an invisible friend? 
he he basically says, ah, someone is hiding. And Magnus is like, I don't know what the fuck he's <laughs> talking about. Bless yeah. you. Are you getting sick again? I I mean, I was I was babysitting a lot today, so I'm probably incubating more baby germs inside of me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, that, that could be Odin. Uh, there, I, I looked ahead of it. Uh, there is a chapter that is just titled... Uh, we learn who that guy was who was invisible, or basically. Uh, so we'll figure it out in this book. Is it an invisible guy, or is it someone in disguise? I'm not sure. Should we I take think... bets on who we think is Odin, or whoever's in disguise? Okay, who? you go first. Um, I think it would be really stupid, but also possible, that Hearth is, uh, what's his face, Frey. Hearth is Frey. Mm-hmm. G- go on. Say more. Wait, on that. no. I just real. I just realized that literally doesn't make sense because he can't do Alf Seder. <laughs> uh huh. Never mind. Scratch that. That's stupid. Uh, Halfborn is Odin. There we go. Hearthstone. Then you're thinking mm. of uh, you've combined. Uh, oh, did you say Halfborn? Halfborn, yeah. Oh, sorry, your your impenetrable accent confused me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm too British. It's okay to be British. Uh, well, oh, no, no. Um, but it is fine. <laughs> it's fine for you to be British, at least. Um, I, yeah, half more. Wait, no, what the, we need to talk about the fact that all of his hallmates are here. I, I'm kind of disappointed in this a little bit, actually. Yeah, I thought these guys were going to be bigger characters, and then they have just kind of showed up twice. <laughs> There's that, and also, like, come on. Let them fight Magnus a little bit. Give us a little bit of the Suicide Squad thing, where they're being forced to fight Magnus against their will. It's really sad. I, I, Of course they were going to immediately be there and help out. Like, there, there was nothing else that was going to happen, but... Come on. It does make Gunilla seem like a huge asshole. Yes. So you have an entire afterlife full of warriors. Why did you use these people? She Put them feels in like a, a fucking chump. basement somewhere. Yeah, she feels like a total chump. Uh, which, you know, she's also stated here to be manipulated by Fenris Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Gaia core for sure. But uh, <laughs> it's... It, it undersells her or, or undercuts her character and sort of, I guess maybe there are a couple of moments in these chapters that make it feel a little bit too, like everyone has become best friends very quickly. Yeah, I, do, I, I can kind of buy that, like, you know, there's a, there's a code of honor for Hallmates and that's kind of what compels them to let Magnus go at the start of the book, but this is like apocalyptic end of the world kind of situation. And yeah. they don't know this dude. Yes. You, you would think that Ganella could at least be like, hey, we gotta take Magnus in before you help him out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he is wielding the sword that will let Fenris Wolf loose. And it's especially weird, because I feel like you could you could make them and Magnus punch for a bit, and then the fire giants show up, and that kind of causes everyone to reevaluate. Like, mm-hmm. you'd get away with it anyway. Definitely. Um, you know who really wants to go over to the fire giant side? is Jack. <laughs> Jack is horny for it. 
<laughs> like Jack Jack is like wants nothing more than to uh just you know go over away from Magnus and join up with Sert and cut those ropes. He he's like he's basically like yeah, it's been fun kid, but this is my real this is my real life's purpose. Magnus is going to jump into Jack's head uh, to see the uh, inside inside of him in his inside his brain there is a mind version of Sirt sitting on a throne with uh, Jack on a leash next to him. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, <laughs> great reference, Jane. <laughs> we watched the fucking Scott Pilgrim movie together. It was a we did. <laughs> It was um it was something. I like the comic. Comic's good. <laughs> Comic's good. <laughs> uh, it becomes a, b- a bit of a classic Hagrid's hot clusterfuck. <laughs> the, like, you know, Hearthstone's there. Finnish Wolf is there. Ganilla's there. All these guys are there. The, the fire giants are there. Ah! Everyone is killing each other. I'm not 100% clear on what actually happened to Blitz. I acted like I was explaining it in the summaries, but I'm actually not sure if he, like, exploded or something. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so what happens is that, like, he just, like, gets his throat cut. Ah. Uh-huh. He gets his throat uh- cut, and then Fenris is like, well, he's dead anyway, but Hoth cast a rune on him to save him, maybe? He saves him, but sacrifices his own life, I believe. Oh. Or sacrifices, like, his ability to do anything, which, you know, in a battle against a high-speed wolf is kind of like sacrificing your life. Uh, and I, that's, oh, Hearth is awesome here. He's doing all sorts of magic. He has, like, psychic speech now, which is interesting. Um, Uh uh-huh. you know, for, you know, people are always like, well, I have this character with a disability. How can we get past that? How could I give them a magical get-out-of-jail-free card for it? And it's not entirely that. I was kind of worried that, like, that would make it so he just, like, didn't have to use sign language anymore or anything like that. That that isn't really mm-hmm. what happens. Um, he he he's he's still he's not like oh, I've been magically cured by the power of my magic. Um, that would fucking suck. That would suck, and I was worried it was going there. <laughs> Instead, uh, Hearth just kind of gets to be a badass for a little bit. Yeah, I think I I I I can definitely see why that would be a worry that pops up. I think like. For as much as I do rag on Rick and have don't have a lot of faith in him in some areas, I do try to keep an open mind at least when it comes to like his presentation of disability. Yeah, just because like, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of a lot of where this series started, and he sometimes fucks it up, but generally his heart's in the right place with it. No, I completely agree. Yeah, speaking to your uh, really good uh, laying out of like how uh, sort of the Norse mythology thing works here. Uh, Sir comes back and his nose is not gone. His nose is still gone. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm hoping that's just like a persistent thing. <laughs> like, people get fucked up and they stay fucked up here. Yeah. Um, I was surprised to hear Magnus say that the best thing had to happen to him to prepare for this battle was to get the Valhalla training. Yeah, that I felt was kind of disappointing because I thought that Magnus's initial thoughts on the Valhalla training were uh, correct. 
why would you do this? This is awful. This is brutal. This isn't actually helping anybody. I know we went real deep into our analysis of like, this is like a cycle of violence that is, you know, not actually preparing them for real war. The effect, but I, I get what he's saying about like the chaos of it all prepares you for the battlefield. But mm-hmm. I feel, it feels like he's buying into the hype a little bit. It feels like he's buying into the hype a little bit. Uh, I mean, considering that again, the way that the battlefield in Valhalla works is, you know, you go out there, you get killed, you get up, you go in again, uh, and then by the end of this. Uh, set of rings two of the valkyries are already dead uh-huh which uh. i feel like is a pretty fundamental difference yes between playing fucking paintball and being shot with an ar-15 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah this is just a minor thing but i i reread the section a couple of times and i couldn't figure out how did sam end up at the school uh i under i thought i understood it as like uh she was just that is where she was teleported to by uh, Thor, right? No, no, she she was teleported home and has to had to like have that confrontation with her grandparents, and then they locked her in her room, and then she said, "And I just kind of appeared here." Wait a second, let me read this again. I don't know. I Odin, maybe. Sure, fuck it. We could just say anything that happened was because Odin did it, and <laughs> I, I guess that's fine. Well, Fenris did it. Fenris did it, yeah. I, I, I like um that we get some more detail on like how her relationship with her family works here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like how guilty she feels. Like she talks about some of the ways she manipulates them. Like she says that she like, what what is it? Something like that. She like manipulates the fact that her grandma feels bad about being biotechnology. Uh, yeah, to, like, she's l- like, oh, I tried to text you, and that's technically true. But Sam did that from Jotunheim, where there's no reception, and then her grandma feels like shit because she's like, oh, I'm useless with technology. I, that must be my fault. I'm sorry. That's oh, you feel for Sam there. You feel for Sam having to do. We we kind of ragged on rick a little bit for leaning into the superhero thing i think he's also doing it pretty well um, yeah I, so, sometimes a superhero has to gaslight an elderly relative i mean that again she's spider-man she peter is parker, this is just this spider-man is, shit this is this is what peter parker does to aunt may <laughs> you know i don't think i've ever actually seen that interaction it would be insanely funny what peter parker gaslighting at me about what he's up to exactly no i was nowhere near the wrestling arena that night no i i was out with harry oh god <laughs> oh man king ganilla's gonna die i reckon ganilla's gonna die ganilla's gonna die she's gonna no sam's gonna save ganilla she's gonna say it's okay that you were racist to me uh <laughs> odin's gonna appear stop the battle he's gonna save uh Bl- blitz and hearthstone no wait no hearthstone will die to save blitz blitz will be very sad about it so he'll retreat to nadaveller um odin got- will appear uh-huh <laughs> i gotta say when the sacrifice rune thing was mentioned i was like f- fully prepared and lining up for a not cis hat that fucking Hoth is gay because he got killed off. Uh-huh. I mean, we're almost there. I think it's kind of ambiguous at this point. Uh-huh. Oh, God. It it feels like cheating because it almost feels canonical. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's 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 almost canonical, but it's not quite there, so I don't think we can give him any flack for doing it. Uh, 
I guess so. And then we can't give him any flack for not committing to it, because then that would have meant that he was doing the bury your gaze trope. So he's Fuck. outfoxed us. Oh, God. He's perfectly Just, walked the line. That's... This is awful. We can't let him do this. <laughs> this is an awful little trick. <laughs> oh. Should we do not so sad? Let's do not so sad. Uh... Jack seems pretty gay for cert. <laughs> like, oh, he's my master. <laughs> I, I I just want to be held by him. <laughs> he controls me. He's I I he's in my heart. That kind of thing. Uh huh. He just has this way of getting into my head. <laughs> yeah, he's using the fucking uh, cert is using the Christian Grey like Dobbs hypnosis superpowers on Jack. <laughs> the fuck are you the Dobbs hypnosis superpowers do you know <laughs> what is this there's a bit in one of the fucking 50 shades movies where like one, one of uh christian's like exes shows up and she's like uh, uh a, a psycho sicko tm uh but when he gets close to her she he is just able to like reach out his hand and make her drop to her knees because he's got like hypnosis superpowers from being a dom <laughs> oh my god that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's exactly what cert is <laughs> Sir, do you think he wear he? He's kind of exactly like Christian Grey. He is wearing because, the, the the Tumblr Daddy Dom suit. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing the Daddy Dom suit. He has the he's like a rich man with a finely tailored outfit. He probably wears Dom jeans. He probably does. And you know, there was that time Christian Grey shot someone off a bridge. I think. I think that happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> God, what a fucking cool intro to this book. Go that on. was so cool. Who's your, who's your pick? My pick is um, Giala. Okay. Because yes, he's a sailor. And sailors look, it gets lonely out there on those waters, and that that can leave them open to exploring their sexuality a little bit more. Unwise girls listeners, I don't ask too much of you. If you have a <laughs> if you have a yearning in your heart, look through the episodes, look through the Nostos hats, see how many times we've given the reasoning of it's lonely out there on these waters for a sailor. Report <laughs> <laughs> back to us, maybe make a compilation. It's it's a lot. I feel like I specifically definitely fall back on that one a lot. <laughs> I think you've done it at least twice in this book. <laughs> Have I? Did I do it about the fucking uh, the, the last guy they went on the boating trip with? I think you did it with um the real life British general. That was <laughs> yes, I did. I did do that with Horatio Nelson. Fuck. Oh, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We were hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. Uh, Moonshotpods.com, goodfuckingpodcast.com, lots of good stuff on there. It's Christmas time uh, for some, so you should go and check out uh, I'll Be Pod for Castmas, which is, I, I just want to shout them out because they're doing some awesome episodes on uh, Les Miserables uh, in, uh, in conversation with the Carly Rae Jepsen song, It's Not Christmas Until Somebody Cries. So just, it, that, some great stuff there. If you want to find us, you can go to Twitter, Tumblr, co-host, uh, Blue Sky, uh, what's the other one? Um, uh, X. 
X, Y, <laughs> Z. You can X, Y, Z summon us. You can X, Z summon us uh, <laughs> at Unwise Girls, where uh, you can find uh, links to our episodes. You can find posts uh, when episodes come out. You can find a visual companion, usually for like the first episode of a book. Um, and many more things as well, like links to our personals and a link to our Discord server, which you should join. Also, you uh, should go and support us if you want to, because we need the support. Uh, we're, we're like a small little flower that you need to water with your five-star ratings and reviews and your podcast app of choice. Um, Those golden five stars. Yes. Um, and you need to, if you want to, if you if you want to tell a friend about us, that would be awesome. And you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you get the Discord roll of a certified chaser. For $3 a month, you get the Discord roll of mid-guardian, as well as all of our bonus content. Yeah, I, we, we continue to truck along with uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, I Am But an Orphans, which is also uh, a show that you should check out if you, you are thinking about, like, you know, sailors out on the sea. They get they get a yearning in them. There's some of that in that show. Some of those characters are getting a yearning in them. You can tell. And for five dollars a month, you can get the Discord roll of Thor's Hammered, all the bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Mint, Isla, Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end. Of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye bye. Bye. My name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now, doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice.